Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. Do you ever go somewhere and have a strong emotional response to it, such as happiness, nostalgia or fear? Have you ever wondered why we look for meaning in places and develop stories or legends about them over time? Well, these behaviours are known as a sense of place. Those are the words of my guest for this episode, Ailish Jane, creator of the excellent Sense of Place podcast. Ailish has interviewed a fascinating array of people on subjects that relate to the effect that certain sites can have on people and communities. Going past the tangible and towards something more sublime, where buildings and other places can develop their own personalities and character, and myths and legends can emerge. Even once gone, such places can still have their own ghosts which haunt the area they once occupied, and be mourned by the people who remember their passing. In the episode, we talk more about what a sense of place is, and how it manifests, its importance in helping people form a connection to their local area and maintain a sense of community, as well as preserving the heritage of our towns and cities and creating new folklore. This interview was recorded in September 2019, and it was really interesting stuff. Enjoy. Ailish, welcome to the podcast. Great, thank you for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm a huge fan of your own show. Uh, to start off with, just describe for us what is meant by a sense of place and, and what was it about that concept that made you want to start your podcast? Yeah, well, I, I suppose in general, sense of place, it describes a relationship with places expressed through different aspects of human life. So, you know, our emotions, imaginations, the sounds we hear, the stories we tell the sights we see, that kind of thing. And a good example of this is if you've ever gone somewhere and you've had a strong emotional response to it, you know, like you felt fear, happiness, nostalgia, something like that. And that could have been triggered by any of those things that I just mentioned. So I think that's probably the best way to describe sense of place. As for how I got interested in it, I think it's something I've always been interested in, to be honest, to some degree. Um, you know, I kind of didn't realize it was something that is researched and explored creatively by many people until I was in my teens, really. Um, particularly when I went to uni, that's kind of when I got, uh, you know, I was reading all these things about it, but it was when I went there that I kind of linked these topic that, that sort of linked it to the topic. Um, cause I think sense of place it does have strong connotations with the past, people's memories, and like I said, our emotions. So that means it tends to always draw on aspects of history and storytelling. And they're things that I've always been into. And obviously this history and storytelling, it kind of relates to the way we interact with the landscape and our surroundings. And that's something I've also been into because I love walking and all things like that, psychogeography, that sort of thing. Um, I was actually recently listening to this Beneath the Tide podcast and Julian Hoffman was a guest on it. I don't know if you've heard of him, but um, he was basically discussing how locations actually become places in the first place. And he said it's because of people's attachments to a location and the stories that are told about it. And I thought that's so true, you know, and um, it's kind of like 
if we have feelings and the memories you know associated with a certain area or landscape which would probably likely relate to personal experiences we've had or you know through stories we've been told legends and myths and so on that I think that can sort of evoke a strong sense of place in us um and I guess a memory that I might have had of you know a particular memory of a strong sense of place for me when I was younger was probably we had in my great grandmother's garden she had this old shed which was full of my great grandfather's old tools and things like that so when we were younger me and my brother used to go in there um and it just felt like a time capsule you know it was full of old tools old newspapers from before I was born and um even just getting in the shed it was like you had this massive old key and I think when you're a kid you just find that really exciting and cool and just it was also fascinating to me pretty much how everything that in that shed was of another time you know it was just so yeah I think that was probably a key moment of maybe where my interest started I guess. No that's a that's a great answer I what I what I like about your podcast and what I get from what you talk about is that what you capture is the the sort of the magic in the everyday, the things that we sort of people maybe slightly take for granted, but when you take a moment and examine it, there's something really special there, something memorable and something that sort of transcends the material value. It has it has a for a better phrase, it has a almost like a spiritual quality it it, is something that kind of comforts the soul in a way yeah no definitely it's it is that sort of overlap isn't it between like the physical world and the sort of magical and and like you say it's just it's in the everyday so yeah no it's always something I've been really interested in cool so uh, in your podcast I've heard you mention things like phenomenology and psychogeography and I know those ideas in a basic sense but how do they link into this idea of a sense of place? Well psychogeography is pretty much you go out about walking and you kind of observe the landscape around you and how it makes you feel Um, and that goes way back it's got old political tones to it but I think today it's mainly more just get out there go walking you know see and just see how the environment makes you feel um so that's that's pretty much how that links to it it's um and phenomenology I'm I'm not I'm actually not a super expert in that to be honest with you um so but yeah that's how psychogeography links links with it oh that's okay don't worry that's a a great (laughs) answer thank you and so psychogeography is something that uh, I only know a little bit about as well but do you think psychogeography and phenomenology are they, are they more the sort of the academic end of of what these sort of phenomena are, and and a sense of place is more the the folklore end of things? Uh yeah, I definitely say I think it's got definitely more of an academic twist on it. I, mean, I think psychogeography is starting to lose that in a way with the mm. way that people are just interpreting it. But obviously, Ian Sinclair, he is the main psychogeography guy if you know what I mean and um his work is very jargony and quite academic and um I think if you're coming to sense of place from an academic stance they're the two areas yeah that you would come at it from um but 
and actually a really a, a really good book to read if you do want to learn about psychogeography is one by Merlin Coverley because it was it just it lays out all the confusion to do with it because I think a lot of people get confused with that term they don't really understand what it is but the basis is just walking and sort of interpreting the landscape around you and how it makes you feel because I think sometimes it can be a bit I think I mentioned this on my podcast I think it can be pretentious sometimes like when you really boil it down to what it is you know um and I like how it's going these days people can have their own take on it in a way just make it what they make what they want of it which is I think is really nice yeah I mean you're right I think it it can be it can be a little too easy to to make something a little too academic when people have probably had these ideas for a long time they just haven't given them these sort of terms have they I mean the the idea of somewhere that has a a bad feeling about it or a good feeling about it I mean those ideas transcend most cultures and they're in a lot of mythology and folklore aren't they so but do you think that fringe ideas like these are becoming more accepted in academic circles not that that's important but just just in general I yeah no I I think so I mean because actually my lot like I did my dissertation kind of on this I was doing it looking at um sort of new ways of interpreting heritage and I was talking about psychogeography and urban exploration and things like that and whether they'd be classed as acceptable because obviously like I said I think psychogeography is the more academic stance um and I did mention phenomenology in the thing but like I said it's been so long now I couldn't really remember all about it but um yeah no they they're they're definitely that sort of cusp between you know between the, the two if you know what I mean so Hmm. Cool. So you've had some really great guests on your show. When you were looking for people to talk to, what exactly was it that drew you to these people and and the things that they were doing? How did that sort of exemplify the sense of place idea? Well, I just, these are just people that I've sort of found online, you know, I've read things <laughs> and what heard yes. things, watched videos, and I was just really, really interested in these topics. And that's kind of how I came to make the podcast, because I was kind of like, well, for example, you know, I did the Lon- I did one on, on the London Sound Survey, which looks at the soundscapes mm. of London. I've done Spirits of Place with John, where he wrote a really, really good book, which is kind of about how stories are embedded in the world around us. I've done a few different ones and I just thought these all relate to sense of place but they're not they're all from different areas of it if you know what I mean and I wanted to just bring that together and I also just just wanted to talk to these people and I thought they have such you know they're so creative and they've got such great ideas and books and all sorts and projects and I was just like I really want to talk to them and find out about more about this and how they sort of got into it so yeah that that's pretty much how I came across these people and um yeah no it's well, I mean probably for you as well like because you've had some great guests on it's just it's just really interesting isn't it when you just something you're really passionate about and you you talk to these people and um their passion for it as well yeah I mean I'm <laughs> I'm always really happy when someone comes back to me after I've emailed them saying would you be interested in being a guest? And they say, yes, I'm always, I'm still always surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what you mean about that though, because you're kind of like, oh, is anyone going to actually say yes? To this? I don't know with what, how it was for you, but like when I started as well, because I didn't have any content. So I was like, 
will anyone actually want to take part in this? And and people did, surprisingly, they're up for it. So it's really, really nice when you, like you say, when you get a yes, you're like, oh, good. They want to come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I um, the interview you did with Ian Rawls, I, I, I love that episode. I thought it was it was fascinating. Do you, are you like to just go into the London sound project that, that he works on and, and what that involves? Yeah, so Ian Rawls, he's basically a sound recordist and he goes around London, you know, recording the changing soundscapes. Like he's got years worth of stuff, you know, recent stuff that he's done himself um, and just, you know, seeing how the sounds of London have changed. And also on his website, he has this collection of old BBC archive recordings from the 1920s. Um, I think they go like to the 1940s or something like that. And uh yeah it just it's got like interviews with people on the street like children playing all these different aspects and uh, something that he's working on at the moment is the significance of street cries in London and he he did talk about that in the interview because he was just getting going with that but he's sort of delving into that a lot more now and uh yeah so it's a, a really great project just um I particularly loved the old recordings I have to say when we were talking about that you know like how people's voices the the pitch and tone have changed over the years and it's something you don't really think about day to day do you but then when you listen to an old recording you think god we don't even sound like that anymore (laughs) you know um so yeah no it's a really good project and he has like maps on his site as well of where he's sort of where the different sounds are so you can pick and choose and listen and uh yeah definitely worth checking checking it out because he's it, yeah like you say it was a I, I really enjoyed that interview I have to say he was a lovely man as well so hmm. yeah and uh I think he I think he's actually got a record out now with some oh, of this cool. with some of this sound so yeah <laughs> like top top um cries of yeah exactly yeah <laughs> no, that sounds good I it's interesting it made me think when I was a kid in the market, I, I grew up in uh, in Grantham in Lincolnshire and there'd be a big market on a, on a Saturday and it made me think there was a butcher's van and the guy that would be selling meat would be selling meat, but you couldn't understand what he was saying really, but he was just saying like, I don't know, leg of, leg of lamb or something or big side of beef or something like that. And he's very distinctive and <laughs> and that I hadn't thought about that guy in a long time, a really long time. And then it just popped into my head and... He he like he'd stopped doing that. That market had changed quite a while ago, and and I hadn't thought about that person at all for ages. And and listening to to that episode, it made me think of that. And it's funny how things can change. Things things change every day, and they sort of pass you by. And then before you know it, things have changed very much. And I think the work that Ian does, it's it, it reminds you of that, doesn't it? It reminds you of how much how things can change so quickly and without you almost noticing like you you'd sort of you don't focus on the things that change you you know you focus so much on your life you you can if you're not careful you can not realize how much things have changed around you and and I suppose sound recordings allow you to kind of you know listen to the past basically and 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 reconnect with the history of somewhere and mm, definitely there's a sense of place almost is that how it works is it is it a connection to something that doesn't exist anymore in certain places i think that's i think that's definitely true um because 
if you think of acts like urban exploration that if anyone who doesn't know what that is it's basically people who go exploring abandoned buildings or you know abandoned tunnels and all things like that and they're all uh, you know they're always drawn to that sense of the past you know the ruins just you know what they find you know like tables laid with cloves mm. left and it's I, I definitely think it's that link to the past for sure that can play a role in it because it's that building it kind of hold like it just it just holds memories and um again it's that sort of magical feeling I, I it's hard to explain because as soon as you step into an atmospheric place like that you're kind of taken aback you can't really explain it in words sometimes um so I, I certainly think and and going back to Ian's project I think I agree that's what I loved about his project because things like sound they're so for example with the urban exploration it's it's visual it's very it's obvious but the sounds are very subtle it's not something you'd think about I'd say as much but then like when you listen to his recordings you know you can just see how much the sounds have changed and we did talk on that as well how they're going to continue to change you know say with electric cars and things like that like it's not going to sound like the same as it does now and the street cries as well is another interesting thing you know you were saying about the man who was shouting out the meat thing like we we had one this woman who used to be shouting out about bananas and it's just one of those things you never forget it It, it, you don't even like I don't even know this woman but it's just still in my head all these years later like they their cries are so distinctive aren't they and I think I guess that's how it works. They sell their produce. But when you go to markets now, they're not really like that anymore. I feel like they're quite civilised (laughs) farmers' markets, aren't they? Just um, no one really cries for their goods anymore. They just kind of have a board and over you go and have a look sort of thing so. yeah yeah it's it's more and it, and it's and it's also i think there's more things like cakes and you can get like a nice coffee and stuff isn't it so it's, <laughs> yeah yeah exactly they, some, they've upped their game now get some nice jams or something as well yeah i, I mean i like jam yeah. but you know I, I know what you mean like i'm not not your typical sort of fruit and veg kind of deal yeah yeah no it's interesting i mean one thing i was going to talk to you about is buildings in places that have been knocked down or, or aren't there anymore and and the, the the nostalgia that people have for them where i where i live in nottingham there used to be a, a railway station which was it was built at the beginning of the 20th century in terms of its length it wasn't really there a really long time it was there about 60 70 years and it was knocked down but it was this beautiful old railway station and it, it was right in the heart of nottingham and and I never, I mean, it was knocked down 11 years before I was born, but I've always seen pictures of it. And it just seems like a like a, a tragedy that this beautiful building was knocked down and sort of, it feels like it almost damaged the heart of the city, you know, the, the aesthetic. Did they put, a, did they build anything in its place? Or it, yeah, yeah, they built a, a, a horrible sort of brutalist style shopping <laughs> centre classic um, yeah that's always the yeah, replacement that might not help either but um, and there are a couple of other buildings in Nottingham that have suffered that way as well a, a lot of buildings in Nottingham were built by an architect called Watson Fothergill and one of his most famous buildings was a, a hotel called the Black Boy Hotel which again was in the city centre and that was knocked down as well and I sometimes wondered to myself why does it upset me so much that this building which was knocked down before I was even born doesn't exist anymore and I think it's because I can't experience it I can only experience it 
through pictures and I wish I could sort of step through the picture and onto the platform. And do you think that that is, does that connect to this idea or, or is that something separate? No, I, I think, I think it does. I mean, that's interesting what you say, because um, you're kind of mourning the loss of a building you've never seen. And I, I get it though, because it's, um, I suppose it's something you wish you could have seen if you're drawn to it. If you think it was an incredible piece of architecture, you know, you wish you could have seen it. Um, because you know, sort of, when buildings get knocked down, you know, and you you've seen that. I think probably mm. in that sense of a, the loss of a building, I think it's probably the sense of familiarity to a lot of people. Because you know, say it's a building you've walked past every day on your way to work, or you know, it held a significant memory in your life. Say it was like a cinema you went to your first date on, or something. You know, yeah. with your partner, <laughs> like you, you'd feel a sense of loss with that, and. Um, do, do you know what actually is a really good example of this is, do you, you know, when the Notre Dame burnt down recently? Yeah. Because um, did you see on Twitter there was like everybody was sort of mourning the loss of it and just saying stories about how much it meant to them and when they went there and everything. And I, I mm. found that really quite interesting. And I think it's probably because, you know, despite everyone having these personal memories in that regard to it the feelings they shared for that building were kind of universal you know the place had meant something to each and every one of them at some stage and I think a part of their lives kind of became intertwined with the building so you know when they saw that that building was lost I think it was kind of heartbreaking for them so you know I I I, I do find that really interesting and also I suppose kind of with buildings like that you know, if you think of the sheer, do you know what, maybe that's partly what you were saying, because I was going to say, you know, the sheer amount of work that goes into these old buildings when they were built, yeah. it's just incredible, isn't it? And hundreds of years have gone by and, you know, all the people that have been before with that. And I think, you know, it's kind of, you don't expect, I don't think people expect a building like that to just go, you know, it stood the test of time for all these other events and, it's just I think it comes to a shock shock to people you know yeah definitely I mean one thing um, I'm reminded of is I watched a documentary about this is a about another railway station actually in in New York called Pennsylvania Station and that that suffered a similar fate to the station I was just talking about in Nottingham it was this huge sort of Romanesque marble railway station mm -hmm. And then it kind of, it, it became a bit tatty and they, again, they knocked it down. The railway station is still there, but they basically knocked all the buildings that sort of sat on top of it. And that's where, and it's where Madison Square Garden is now. But they were, they interviewed somebody who was, she was a little girl when it was in its prime in the 1930s. And she was just talking about how one thing she remembers is you'd, you'd walk into the station and, and there was this, mar this massive sort of Italianate, marble ceiling above you and it and the whole building the, the whole building was almost like it was designed to make you look up most people are encouraged to look down at their feet but this this building was designed to make you look up and it was like a it was an aspirational building it was a it was a building for everybody to to feel to feel good basically and, I, and it made me wonder about how buildings can can have that quality and, and they have an effect on people and and maybe mm. that's partly you know the way a building is designed, it has an effect on person. And then, you know, and, and then when 
that building is no longer there when it's destroyed it it can feel like you're losing something you're losing a a connection to something that makes you feel good yeah absolutely i think kind of buildings your your response to a building and stuff i think and the way the building has been built are kind of intertwined because i think you need if you have something of architectural beauty you're attracted to it you want to go to it you're blown away by it and then also i think the memories that you have had relating to that place as well add to it so I think they complement each other to create a sense of place in a way because um do you know what actually I find really interesting is you know you're talking about the brutalist um shopping center yeah like every back in the day everyone was like brutalist architecture is ugly it's awful I hate it and if I don't know if you've noticed but now there's like a real revival everyone's like oh it's amazing I love it we're great listing <laughs> them and <laughs> it's almost like it's so bizarre isn't it it's like a cycle it almost feels like when something's old enough everyone gets all nostalgic about it and like oh it's I love them they're great these buildings and um yeah I just it's just funny how that's changed because at one time they weren't seen as anything spectacular but now they're really get starting to get an appreciation and um I always wonder is it is is it just sort of when something gets old enough that's when the whole sort of the nostalgia comes back for people, the sense of place. They're like, oh, remember when we were younger and blah, blah, and whatever they did <laughs> around this, like, brutalist building or something. It's uh, it's interesting, really. Yeah, maybe it's like what you were saying before, if time, enough time passes that enough people have fond memories of it for it to form a place in their in, in, in their memory and in, in their hearts, I suppose. But also, it depends where that building is, because I know that the one in in Nottingham weirdly they they knocked down the entire railway station apart from the the clock tower so the clock tower is still there <laughs> but the rest of it is just this shopping center and it's, it's sort of and actually they kept the they kept the railway hotel so there's these sort of fragments of the railway station but then it's just massive concrete buildings sort of prop, plopped behind it it's just it doesn't kind of work as a juxtaposition of architecture whereas I can imagine something by itself might be all right but sometimes it feels like sometimes brutalist architecture just seems to sort of smash its way through the past yeah. and just plonk itself down and say you know I'm here and just uh... <laughs> no it really does doesn't it you're, you're out and about lovely everything bang there it is like all gray and I mean I, I kind of get why people appreciate it to a degree but they're not I suppose they're not that pleasing on the eye. It depends on your opinion. They're very in your face, aren't they? They're very like you say, I'm here. Yeah, I think I think, <laughs> so, I think some of them can age well. I think some yeah. of them age badly. It depends on the building. Like, like a lot of buildings, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm not like an architecture expert by any means, but I mean, I've you know, buildings they build today being glass and everything, you kind of wonder how they're going to go down in, in time. You know, they're very sort of, futuristic-y looking I suppose very light and yeah just mm. very glassy aren't they so I mean you yeah. want, you wonder what what people are going to think in like a hundred years of them you know I've had uh, I had a friend who who was down in London and said that the that the financial district of London is a very eerie place because it's full of those kind of buildings um, mm. and it's it's got a weird vibe to it uh, I haven't been there myself so I can't quite describe it but but it's, it's, you know, it's one of those places that's yeah. full of concrete and glass. And I imagine 
most of the time it's quite quiet as well so there's not many people around it's uh no no um nobody um shouting out what they're selling or anything but <laughs> um yeah <laughs> yeah because yeah, do you know that's another thing even in that sense of building can kind of evoke you know it doesn't always have to be positive it could be like you find it eerie or just a bit intimidating and um you know especially some of these new ones they're so big and almost clinical looking in a way I don't know like they don't they, they don't have much character to them I suppose it's character in a different way isn't it but um compared to older buildings they're just so built so differently yeah yeah they sort of it's quite minimalist isn't it a lot of architecture it's quite clean clean yeah. lines and not a lot of curves no for straight lines and things no. like that well there's some yeah. there's some odd buildings in london the the one that looks like a walkie-talkie i'm just i'm a bit baffled by that one but uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that oh i might be wrong i think that's the one that's got the garden on the top of it oh yeah I don't know like the sky maybe it's not that one one of those buildings has like a, a garden on the top of it um which it, it, I've actually been up there it's pretty pretty nice actually oh, cool. it's kind of ra- it's kind of random though just like garden bank plonked on top of one of these buildings so I'll give it enough yeah, time I'm but... sure it will have a you know people will have a it will, it will, it will evoke emotions in people and uh, <laughs> and have its own sense of place I'm sure yeah, I do. I, I I do think you know. It's just I think definitely having that element of history to something definitely helps a lot. Because when you see a modern building, I, I know this is only me speaking for myself. I mean, I might get a sense of place from it. You know, like I say, you feel a bit. You know, you were saying it's eerie or cold or something like that. But you kind of don't get that like overwhelming thing of like oh wow look this is amazing I suppose it's the fact with older buildings all that history that's happened you know and if you're a history buff like me you get kind of like wow this is so amazing yeah so yeah but um it's I also think what's really interesting now is I actually was talking to John Rappian about this on one of the episodes is how um you know cities kind of they have that overlap with the old and new and you know, like the modern buildings like I went to Greece uh, I'm gonna say it wrong I think it's Thessaloniki but they basically had you know all these modern buildings and sort of peppered in between with these ancient like ruins and all sorts and it's just part of the landscape and I actually I actually really love that to be honest I, I just think it gives it character you know when you've got this mix-up of stuff I mean it just yeah, I don't know, because it, it was like one minute you're just walking down the street and then you've just got this ancient like Greek ruin there and it's just kind of don't, I, I mean, I suppose you get that to a degree over here, but it's not the same, you know, on the same level. They they just had heaps of the things everywhere, which was really cool. Yeah, I think what happened over here was, is that it depends on the the town or city, doesn't it? I, I as I mm. understand it, Ironically, the places in that got some money after World War Two to 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 kind of reconstruct themselves, they were the they were the cities that that um, did knock down their older buildings. Whereas other cities which didn't get so much money, but they sort of had well, <laughs> we'll have to keep them for now, and then yeah. so we'll keep them and see how they do. And so yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I one thing that I that does interest me is sort of the connection between the buildings and the layout of a city and something like sense of place because. I get the sense that cities 
for a long time they they grew relatively slowly and they could sort of almost grow organically and more recently i think development's kind of gone up a few notches and mm. and excuse me there's the ability to to do more in a shorter space of time do you do you think that that that's the case do you find that that redevelopment can have that affected or is it something else that's that's again relative to the area do you think do you mean do i think sort of modern builds can affect this the the landscape of the city like the sense of place of it or yeah so so if so the if new buildings say change the flow of a of a road or or a road gets moved and 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 takes pedestrians or traffic away from a certain area do you do you think that that sort of that physical change in in the layout of a city can have a an effect on on the on the factors that that go into the idea of a sense of place yeah i mean i think so um i mean to, you know when you were talking about post war and everything yeah obviously there was that huge increase in mass builds of houses and that's kind of when the brutalist architecture came in the 50s and 60s and all of that and i think um well if, if we talk about london i as far as i know i think most of that was built in greater london and you mm. know i think it was kind of seen as a, a fresh start for people like new ex- exciting modern things but you know if you do go into london today obviously yeah there's you know new things like that shard built up on the landscape but at the same time you know older monuments say like St Paul's I still think there is a focus on that like on these older buildings and monuments you know they're kind of I think they're sharing the landscape because you know say you go along the Millennium Bridge and stuff that's obviously a new modern thing built but at the end of it St Paul's is the focus and I think it just shows you know they're still despite these changes I think there still is an appreciation for the older buildings I think they're just sort of sharing it with their model equivalents I guess and um, I think I yeah no I think that was when I was talking to Tom on the portals of London one he actually was talking about one of his stories kind of been influenced by this you know the changing how the landscape changes with the building up of towns and things because he said there was destructions of medieval churches after the war and I think he was saying you know Mm. office blocks were sort of built around these spaces where they would have been so it's just interesting how you know how modern architecture goes based on old old things that came before like they wouldn't make sense now like to the to the landscape but they still sort of respect that and the things that were there before right yeah I, I, I see what you mean the the new building the headquarters for Bloomberg was built on top of an ancient Roman temple. I I found that interesting. Oh really? Yeah. So yeah. they um, they found a temple to Mithras when they were redeveloping that part of London and when they were building the the new headquarters for Bloomberg and you can go there now. It's um, you can go there for free and everything. It's it's basically <laughs> it's in the basement of this massive skyscraper, but it it just um, it made me chuckle to myself that the headquarters for a, like a multi-million corporation 
is built on top of a temple to a deity who who had a cult that we don't know quite know what they were doing and it just it just made me think of a like a it's a great setup for a graphic novel or something but <laughs> no it really is isn't it yeah you think something something strange is going to be going on there yeah yeah my friend had a an interview there not long after it just opened and i was like i was just asking him did you see anybody in like robes or anything or did you have to sign anything in blood or like <laughs> <laughs> yeah he didn't he didn't that's yeah fine. It's good i think it's all i think it's all on the level to be fair so but it's, it's interesting isn't it unless he's keeping unless he's keeping secrets oh yeah yeah, yeah. maybe he has to <laughs> you never know <laughs> yeah no that is uh I, i'm kind of surprised they build that on top of it i mean uh I, maybe we're moving away from superstitions and things a little bit now because you kind of still think people are a bit funny about building on old places i guess there comes a point you have to though if we're running out of space yeah i know there's part of me that thinks that they they knew full well well what was there and that's that's why they built it there <laughs> that's the more, yeah. the more conspiratorial side of me is um it likes that idea anyway <laughs> yeah no there's always a good conspiracy out there isn't there <laughs> no, but that's interesting what you were saying about those old churches it's um i think so long as those places, and as well, what you said about the the Millennium Bridge pointing to St. Paul's, if, if these places are allowed to keep their their place in the city, they still have that, that power, don't they? Especially buildings like churches, I think there is, because a lot of the time churches will be built on on something pre-Christian as well. So you're, you're kind of, these are sites where London hasn't changed, well, any city really, but in your example, mm. London, hasn't changed for a very, very long time. And they perhaps allow a certain amount of reconnection with the city's past. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So another episode I really enjoyed was your interview with Trevor Finnegan, which is about shopfronts in, in Ireland. Oh, yeah. No, that was a good one. Um, yeah, that was a... He was, he's, he's got a project called R-Type. And um, he basically goes around Ireland photographing sort of the shop fronts in Ireland that are starting to not exist anymore. Like the original ones, you know, like local businesses and obviously they're starting to get replaced by the more big shops like Boots and Tesco's and so on. And um, yeah, I think that's such a great project really, isn't it? It's just because, did you look at his Instagram at all? I haven't actually. I I meant to, but I just never got around to it. But yeah, yeah, no, because he's got that. Some of them are, are lovely, like the, you know, there's just there's so much effort put into these shop fronts, you know. And um, he's like a graphic designer as well, so I think he can really appreciate the work that goes into them. And um, we did discuss how that project is starting to get people very much. It, they they want to sort of save these shop fronts now you know mm. they're really starting to take notice um it's kind of another one of those things again isn't it it's like daily life goes by and maybe people just don't notice that these shops are disappearing and then one day you kind of look back and you think oh they're all gone now <laughs> like so I think you know it's a great project and um it's really helping to to save these shop fronts and uh people making people aware of the the changes and stuff that's going on around them Hmm. so with that example is that a more i'm guessing that the spirit of place comes from the 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 visual quality of these shop fronts yeah yeah definitely i i mean 
I that's the other thing I think uh sense of place that as well it can kind of link link to heritage quite a bit so mm. I think this I feel like for me this is more of one of those like heritage based ones if you know what I mean because it's more linking to well not you know like it's our their well their culture in a way isn't it the their heritage the shop fronts and um it, and I like I think the other one I did with Dan Boys kind of linked to that as well because uh, we were talking about you know, he, he he creates audio trails for landscapes and heritage sites. And we talked about yes. um, this guy, Freeman Tilden. And basically, if anybody doesn't know who he is, he's kind of a pioneer in the way we go about interpreting heritage because he wrote a book called Interpreting Our Heritage in the 50s. And the ideas and principles um, that he, he laid out, they're still used today when we go about deciding you know, how we're going to interpret a site, how we're going to get people interested, you know, whether this is a park or like a, a museum or something like that. So I think these, you know, sense of place, it, it, that's the thing. It seems kind of like a niche subject, but at the same time, it's it's so broad how, what it can link to. I mean, it can link, it tends to link to things like heritage, history, geography, walking, art, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, they're all... I, I, that's another reason I think I wanted to make this because it was just like they're never they're never all these things they seem kind of separate but they all come under that in a way so yeah they that I'd say that was more down the heritage route a little bit right no that's interesting I mean what when I find from, from my podcast as well is that subjects which seem quite disparate there is a connection somewhere I mean this is sort mm. of different to what we're talking about here but but in general you know, there'll be a connection. If you read enough about UFOs, you'll find a connection to Bigfoot and to ghosts. And there, there are plenty of places that have all three of these things happening in them and lots of reports of them. And you're right, it can be, it can it, sometimes it can be almost be like a default position to to view certain things as, as separate and in their own right. But a lot of the time, this is a whole network of different things connected to each other subtly, but but it is there if you so if you if you look hard enough. Yeah, no, absolutely. They they all kind of and they kind of overlap on each other, don't they, as well in in some mm. ways. So, yeah. Mm. Just before we started this recording, actually, I was talking to my mum about this interview, and she was talking about how, and it's a great example, really. Like um, a lot of people, when they're looking at houses to buy, or they're looking to buy their first house, maybe or a house. They'll they'll often say, well, we went around a few, and then there was just one that that I really liked and stood out for us. And and if you ask them why, they never really say, well, they they're not really sure why. They just say, well, I just liked it more than the other ones. And I think that's a a, a good example too, isn't it? That's a it's a good place to start from. I think that's a bang on answer, a sense of place, really, isn't it? It's just that I don't know why really. It's a combination of factors. You just like you were saying, I think the way a building looks does greatly influence you in a way. And then also just how you, you feel what you are drawn to as well. And um, yeah, then like you say, when you're looking at somewhere, you just go and you think, Oh, this isn't right. Or do you just, you just know it's right. I think, I think I might've talked about this actually, because it's just all the things you could put on paper, you know, listing why it is good 
it, it, it doesn't matter because if you if you just get that gut feeling almost you're like no this isn't right yeah. even if it, if it even if it's sort of on paper it should be you know so yeah that's that's definitely a I think that's something everybody could would have experienced in their life they they just get that feeling about somewhere so good or bad mm, definitely and going back to Freeman Tilden what were some of his ideas about heritage and how, how do they link to these ideas that we're talking about well it was mainly just how we go about getting something across to people like how we get them to appreciate like the main one he first did it was to do with um parks and just like the preservation of parks and getting people interested in kind of respecting that and he was kind of saying how do you get information across to people and keep them interested and um and and also he was saying you know information you get across to adults needs to be completely different for children and Mm. i mean this could even go as far as sort of the way people teach children now in a way because it's it's just ways of getting them engaged because they would engage differently to adults you know they might be interested in more things they can touch and you know rather than just dry information you know like reading or something like that so he that that's basically and that like that's how it can end up being got across in in a museum context because it's kind of the way you go about making displays and things like that you know obviously there's a big change in that as well how we interpret things in museums you know back in the day it would have been you're just reading a sign now they're incredibly interactive like and they've got like the audio guides and games you can play things you can touch so his i his principles link back to that he does have um five key principles i just can't remember them off the top of my head so apologies for that um, (laughs) that's okay yeah no if honestly they're if you're kind of interested in that definitely look him up because the book as well is just it's so easy to read as well it's one of those books you know you just think everything just falls so nicely into place and Mm. um, just makes complete sense with kind of how we interpret heritage and things like that so yeah nice no, um it's just incredible as well because it's it's quite you know i said it was like written in the 50s and it still like fits to, to the to today really and you think most things from them would have been outdated because he kind of it, his his sort of one of his main thing was getting people on that emotional level so i guess that's kind of how it links to sense of place in a way yeah it's the link it's draw it's connecting the place to someone's emotions and that just makes such a difference you know um yeah yeah it's recreating a a moment of the past isn't it i mean especially with heritage i i mean i know i'm a you might have you might have guessed from my talking about railway station i'm i'm a big fan of of railways so i go to it by the way you're you're actually going to be happy because i'm doing an, a railway episode <laughs> oh cool brilliant oh <laughs> yeah i am happy <laughs> <laughs> sorry carry on no no sorry. um but i go to preserve railways quite a lot and i find that what they do they will restore a railway to a point where it sort of represents a period in time and that and that's how they work and you know a, a lot of them they make a lot of their money mostly during the tourist season when you know there's there's lots of holidays so kids like going out and but they also have this what they're trying to do is sort of 
offer a, a heritage experience basically and they and they do that by making something sort of exactly as it was i don't know 70 60 years ago and and in between the period now when it's it's kind of odd because you'll you'll have a station now which looks like it did 60 years ago but in between now and 60 years ago it's been dilapidated and restored again so in a way what you've got is a sort of a recreation of the past but it's in the present and but that is also well, that is still heritage and it's it's an odd juxtaposition of, of ideas and it's and it seems to be I'm not sure if that taps into what what Freeman Tilden was was talking about in terms of how you how you kind of preserve heritage but yeah I, and and one thing I think that the the heritage railway industry is a problem it is facing is that a lot of the people who cared enough to preserve the buildings and and the railway lines initially I mean they get they're getting on now there's there's going to be a point when there aren't people around anymore who remember the railway as it was before it was preserved and 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 they what the challenge they're facing is is connecting future generations to this idea and it will be people who who never remembered the railway i guess a bit like how i never uh, experienced that railway station but it's interesting to think about how something can be created and then the challenge is to preserve uh, <laughs> to preserve it in such a way you're just kind of preserving it from what, what you've seen almost you yeah don't... And, and and preserving it for a, preserving it for a generation who are, are a couple of generations down the line from a point when it was what it was if you see what I mean yeah yeah no it's it is interesting isn't it and that's actually cut this is I, I kind of talk a little bit about this kind of thing actually and the the railway episode because uh and it also just the way again that they're going about getting I, th- I think like you say because that sort of generation will pass eventually and just getting younger people to sort of get interested and get involved they have so many some of these railways have so many great events don't they like themed like yeah we saw they had a they had a peaky blinders one and stuff at one railway you know it's 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 nuts they do so much for it now and um in the other respect it's also quite interesting really like how you know like times we haven't even lived through we like have Mm. only seen pictures like you're saying and they will be that generation and it's why I don't have any idea why we're so drawn to it we just are it's bizarre really isn't it just that we want to recreate this past that has that has been and gone and yeah we just so many people are are interested in what has what has happened I mean there's people that look to like are interested in futuristic stuff but I I really feel like that maybe it's the nostalgia for people and the thought of better days or something it's I have no idea really but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I I can't remember who said it, but there's a great quote that they were talking about archaeology and they were saying archaeology is sort of the science fiction of the of the past. And I like that quote. And, it, mm, yeah, and in a way good. it is, because with, with archaeology, you're sort of exploring unknown worlds that were in the past. And in, in science fiction, it's usually unexplored worlds in the future. Yeah, no, that, maybe, that's really true. And that, and that can, I suppose it can work both ways, can't it? And like you just said, some people love the future and some people love the past. And it's just, you're still journeying somewhere, aren't you? You're still going into somewhere mm. that's, 
that you can't quite get to but you really you really want to and exactly I guess it's that intrigue isn't it it's something we'll never truly understand and we kind of want to get a taste of it in a way yeah and see what it was like so and a sense of place can give you that initial connection because thinking about it there's yeah. a I mean, there's that saying isn't there if if, if wolves could talk so <laughs> I think imagine if, wolf, yeah. if man if wolves could talk <laughs> Oh my god, <laughs> that would be a bizarre, wouldn't it? Yeah. No, it would be healing howling. We'd be hearing what they're saying. God. Cool. Well, Ailish, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for for being on the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. That's been good. It's been great. Yeah. So, where can people find your wonderful show? Um. So I I have got a website which is www.senseofplacepod.com, and that's just got everything on it so it's got the link to twitter it's got the um podcast and i've I've got it on all the usual spots like spotify apple podcasts um you know the whole (laughs) you know the whole shebang of them lot (laughs) so they're all they're all there so that's probably the best spot to go wonderful Um, i'll make sure to put links to all that in the show notes yeah brilliant that'd be great great well yeah thanks again ailish yeah thank you hope that was all right Well, that was a really interesting chat. I think before recording this episode, I had an overcomplicated idea of what a sense of place is, because it really can be as straightforward as that feeling you get when you're checking out new places to live, and one of them stands out more than the rest. On a larger scale, I suppose that it's that tangible experience of something which is largely ineffable, and a connection which is a little more abstract than your average interpersonal relationship. Ultimately, it's easier to sense than describe, which I guess is stating the obvious. Since talking with Ailish though, I've tried to think more psychogeographically, if that's a word. Anyway, I've tried to think more like that as I walk around towns and cities. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. It was lovely to talk with Ailish, and the best thing I think you can do now, if you're more interested in this subject, is listen to her podcast. All of season one is still available, and I think season two is just about to start, which is excellent news. As for this show, You can most likely find it in all good places where you listen to your podcasts and ratings and reviews are gratefully received. To contact me at SphereHQ, email someothersphere at gmail.com and the podcast Twitter account is at spherical underscore pod. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. (laughs) 